We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How about I go ahead and address the larger than average elephant in the room? No, I have never coached the sport that you folks call football. And heck, you could fill two internets with what I don't know about football. <laughs> Hold on now. If I were to get fired from a job where I'm putting cleats in the trunk of my car. You got the boot for putting boots in the boot. <laughs> I love that. You know what the happiest animal on earth is? It's a goldfish. You know why? No. Got a 10 second memory. Be a goldfish, Sam. All right, welcome back to Big Screen Sports, the sports movie podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Banduho. We are at episode five, the halfway point of our Ted Lasso season one rewatch. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Alex McDaniel. Alex, how are you doing tonight? I, I've been better, if we're being honest. <laughs> it's we're about to get into it, we're about to get into it deep. Uh, yeah. Arguably the most emotional episode of this show. It's got competitors, but um, before we before we dive in, before we, I mean, right now in our little recording studio website thing, your name is Sad Alex, so that kind of sets the mood for right now. Alex, sad before Alex. we get into that, yeah. Sad Alex, Sad Alex, before we get into that, uh, <laughs> tell the folks about Ain't Slayed Nobody. Uh, I'm on another podcast. It's called Ain't Slayed Nobody. You can find us on Twitter at Ain't Slayed. You can find us pretty much everywhere at Ain't Slayed. It is a tabletop RPG podcast where we try to tell jokes while playing a game about being in the Wild West and also there are monsters. That's the best. That's the best one I've done so far. I was gonna say you get better at it every single week. Every week I learn a little more about this podcast I've been doing for two years. Perfect. That's that's all you could ask for. Uh, also, if you're a baseball fan, check out From Phenom to the Farm. That's brought to you by Baseball America. Comes at you every other Tuesday. Interviews with former professional players about their careers. And also, if you're enjoying this show, the Ted Lasso rewatch of Big Screen Sports, let us know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or just telling every friend you know. If we get enough new five-star reviews, I might just drop the episode of Creed that I already have recorded as a Thursday bonus. So uh, some incentive for people. If you if you want to hear this podcast talk about Creed, very good one with uh, guest Bradford William Davis, who is also a gem, much like all the characters on this show. Uh, drop us some five-star reviews. But Alex, let's get into it. Ted okay. Lasso, episode five, tan lines. Ted reunites with his wife and son. Ted makes a bold choice and takes Jamie out of the game. Alex, this show, this is the episode that the show has built us up and made us invest and buy into all these characters. And and this this is the episode where it cashes into all that emotional collateral in a big way and just, just breaks us. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing how they spent four episodes just sort of building us up and getting our loyalty just so they could absolutely shatter us in episode five. <laughs> like, it's amazing. I mean, it's the mark of a good show or good, you know, good content, good piece of pop culture in that if we didn't care as much about these characters as we did, if it wasn't doing such a good job building up these characters, we this wouldn't have hurt us as bad. So it's, it's good that it hurts in a way. Uh, my, I mean, my opening question, I, I kind of have two, but the... The first one that kind of relates to what we're talking about is this your, and this is kind of an oxymoron when I when I think about this in my head. Is this your favorite piece of divorce film or television? Ooh, you know, I would say it's up there. There's definitely been some movies and shows that have captured the nuance of divorce, especially like any sort of separation that involves children. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Marriage and Story I, comes to mind as something. That's very exactly recent. that's exactly what I was thinking of. Um, 
and about how hard that can be and about how it's not as simple as I don't love you anymore. And it becomes more about where do we fit in each other's lives in a way where we can both be good parents to this child and still get to live our lives and still be happy and find fulfillment. And yeah, I mean, I would say TV for sure, which I'm sure there's a lot of people who bring up a lot of shows I haven't seen that would be better. But I think that's why this destroys me so much is because it's not as simple as, you know, someone cheating on somebody or someone just saying I'm done. You can tell Ted and his wife have fought for a long time and especially his wife. And it's sad to watch something like that come to an end when two people have tried really hard to save something that can't be saved. It is, it is devastating. Um, what is your opening question? <laughs> Are Bill Lawrence and Jason Sudeikis trying to kill us? I, I, I think that's a pretty easy one. Yes, they are. Clearly, they're trying to destroy us from the inside out. I'm sorry I don't have a better question, but that's the only one I've got. I mean, the only other one I had, it, is just, I, it was kind of something I said out loud when they're talking about Coach Beard's dating life. I, yes. I kind of, I just audibly wondered, like, does Coach Beard have a lot of sex? Like, is he a ladies' man? I'm very... I'm very interested in what kind of dater Coach Beard is, like how he goes about his life, because he clearly is not a fan of relationships. But I also I don't see him as Ryan Gosling in the beginning of Crazy Stupid Love. I'm very intrigued by Coach Beard. Do you, you ever been married? Ha! Yeah, Nate, Coach's views on romantic relationships are not too dissimilar from his views on cooking steak. You know, you spend any more than five minutes on one, lose its flavor. That sound about right, Coach? Yeah. Yeah, I think he definitely has a lot of sex. We like go back to the episode where what is it Ted says to him like what time did you get home last night and he said I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just casual about it. So and Ted's not surprised when he says that. Like I think Coach Beard gets around. And like good for him. Wait But live with your Coach life. Beard that could have been like he could have been at a you know, closing down a bar and playing like a, a visual chess game with no. with some. You you think you think Coach Beard no. was just knocking boots? That's sex. That is one hundred percent sex. Good for good for Coach Beard. At least <laughs> at least someone happy. in this episode has something to, to smile about. We're happy for you, Coach Beard. So happy for Coach Beard. Brendan Hunt, come on the show. Tell us Please about. Come on the show. Tell us about how much sex Coach Beard is having. Uh, let's go into best scene. Uh, the practice scene. We, we get a kind of an extended uh, practice scene that sets up uh, a narrative for later in the season, talking about the extra pass with Jamie. But really, this episode, this, this practice scene is all about Ted reuniting with his family. And right away, you can see that his wife is not nearly as happy to be there as he is for her to be there. Guys, we got to play like a team tomorrow. Otherwise, we're going to get our butts kicked. Extra passes. We're going to keep doing this until we get it right. Let's go. Practice canceled. That is a lot longer run than he thinks that. Metaphor. Hey! Kind of thought y'all'd meet me halfway, but hey, that's all right. Hey, buddy! Oh, you got it. Ooh, two spins. <laughs> How about that? Oh, you're going to be a dizzy fella there. Slower helicopter. No way. Come on now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> I'll miss you so much. Yes. And if you notice, like, during the practice when suddenly his wife and son show up and Ted says practice is canceled and he starts running and Nate says, um, that's a lot longer run than he thinks. And Coach Beard <laughs> says, metaphor. <laughs> like, it kind of sets us up. And we already know because he's opened up to Rebecca in this episode too. He's like, we've been having some marital issues. We've been going to counseling. So they've, they've really, we knew something was up, obviously, from the phone calls that he's had. But this is where we, we fully understand, like, this is not um, a perfect marriage by any means. And it's a marriage that's potentially in danger based on the fact that he moved what was it, 4,438 miles away just to give her space. And what a shocker. Ted Lasso is a great dad. Yeah, I'm stunned. Yeah, it was very cute. And, you know, I've got a son same age as his son. And 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 you do too, right? We, we I both, do, yes. Yeah. We have kids the same age. This is why we're just crying the whole time. It's going like, to be a really tough episode. It, it is because, you know, when they're that age, they're not babies anymore. So you can't just shield them from everything that's going on in your life. They're very much paying attention to you. They're feeding off of you. They know what's going on. They know when their parents aren't clicking. 
and it's heartwarming and also very bittersweet because when you see him interacting with this kid and he's like, oh my God, you're so tall. You have teeth and you can talk. And, you know, it's a sweet moment, but you also are, you walk away with this feeling like this is not going to end well. No, no, you, you kind of, you get that vibe right away. Uh, the Lasso family then rolls into the bar, uh, which is uh, uh, honestly a lovely scene. I love the hooligan who <laughs> calls him a wanker. And then I was so nice to meet you, Mrs. Lasso. I know. It was actually very sweet. That kind of endeared me to them finally because they kind of just annoyed me a lot, I think. Just having like the typical fans who hate him. And then that was like, okay, I can I can accept them now. <laughs> like They're nice. And, you know, it's I actually had this written down for my British-American culture thing. But... I think like one of the smartest exchanges I've seen in the show is what his wife says, oh, do they wrap the fish and chips in newspaper here? You know, just because that's what we all assume because that's what we're used to in stereotypes, et cetera. And he's like, no, I would love that. <laughs> I'd love to learn from my food. And she's like, yeah, that's like your dream, right? Like learning about Rosa Parks from a donut <laughs> or something. Like, it's really, it's a very smart subtle thing like everything else in this show and you from that you can also tell she's super in tune to knowing who ted is like this is a relationship that's very deep and very understanding of each other's personalities and their and especially like how eccentric ted is which makes this episode all the more sad uh we i we can't leave this scene without uh remarking on ted ted's kid just darting the only fan who's really been nice to ted which you know as someone with a child that age, like you understand that could totally happen. That's so realistic. Oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. I mean, you see, you see the bartender may hand the kid those darts and you're like, there, that's, that's not good. Yeah, of course not. But yeah, it's very endearing. It's cute. The next scene I've got is when things start, start getting tough. And it is what I'm calling the Oklahoma conversation at the Lasso house. When you, you get verbal confirmation that, his his wife is not feeling it, and she's trying, and this space has has really not helped. And it the thing that is tough about it is that it is that conversation is parenting in a nutshell because it is having to put yourself together on the spot for the sake of your kid, which is a lot of parenting. And in in different situations, it can be an argument, it can be something sad, it can be you're trying to distract them from anything in the world, and you have to put a you know an even face on. And, and get ready for them. And they're having this intense conversation and Ted's life is kind of starting to crash around him and they have to put it together because his kid, the kid runs in the room wearing an AFC Richmond jersey. It is a, it's when things start getting tough. Yeah, you know, I think too, that conversation he had with Rebecca at the beginning that really sets up where they are in terms of they've been going to therapy and he moved there to give her space. Like he moved nearly 5,000 miles away to try to save his marriage. He, he wanted to save his family. And them coming to visit, to him, you can tell, was this sign that I, this is working. Like, they want to see me. She's doing well. This is great. And when he sees her, he finds her crying in front of the window. And you can tell his entire, just everything drops. Everything sinks. And what I think is so smart, they could have so easily not invested much in her character at all and made her more of like a villain type just because everybody loves Ted at this point, right? So it's easy for us to view in our you know, simple minds, everything is black or white. They're like, oh, she's just not trying hard enough. Or, you know, I can't believe she doesn't see him as we see him. <laughs> you know, very silly things like that. But they did such a good job just with her, um, the, her character and her dialogue and, and the actress. And I hate that I don't know her name. I should have done that before this. Um, but she plays it so well because she's hurting bad. And you can tell, like, she's tried everything to keep them together as a family. And she even tells him, like, I'll keep trying. You know I will. So you can tell this isn't anything deceitful. This isn't malicious. There isn't somebody here who's trying to actively hurt the other person. They, She's just not in love with him anymore. And that's the moment he realizes it. And it is, oh, it's heavy. Makes it all the more sad. The actress's name is Andrea Anders, although I read it. As Andrea, and I think that's because of I just watched The Devil Wears Prada far too often. Um, <laughs> we we've talked about stuff, and you've talked about you know you've seen this show a million times, and you notice different things upon rewatch and stuff like that. Something watching this episode, what makes it even more sad is right before this, 
um, or right around this time, they're building that Lego together, that double-decker bus. And if you watch this on repeat and you know the ending of the episode, that's really their last act as a family of three. And that is fucking brutal to, to watch on repeat. And them sleeping in the bed together, like any parent knows... It's a really nice thought that your baby's going to stay in a crib and move to a toddler bed and stay in their bed (laughs) forever. But every single parent knows how many nights you will spend with that kid next to you, like kicking you. And, you know, his body's flailing everywhere and you're just trying to get a little piece of the blanket. Taking up 97% of the bed. Every time. And so that's what killed me more than the Legos the first time I watched it was seeing the three of them in the bed. They're sleeping. He's awake and perfectly happy, even though he's got to be uncomfortable. He probably has like a foot in his ribs and everything else. But it, it really it captures that unit so well. Like I was an only child for a while. My sister wasn't born until I was almost 10. So we were really far apart. And I slept with my parents for a very embarrassingly long time. And I, I remember seeing that episode. And when I saw that, I immediately thought, of that. And I just, it just broke me because I'm like, it's the ultimate bond, I think, as people. It's, it's so intimate when you can sleep in the same bed together and they've been a unit for so long. And to have this sinking feeling inside that this is all about to break down is, it's a lot. They're not letting us off easy whatsoever. No. And after everything we've done for them. <laughs> I, I can't believe it. Honestly, Jason Sudeikis, Bill Lawrence, come, Bill Lawrence, come on the show. Answer for yourselves. Yeah, come on the show, cowards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> next scene, what I'm calling the coach's office therapy session, uh, where you get into the real reason Ted took the AFC Richmond job, moving you know that those 4,400 miles away. Um, love these four guys together. Love Higgins getting in the mix. Uh, also love Beard deleting apps on Higgins's phone, I know. <laughs> which is. <laughs> which is which is really really good and then uh higgins talking about his 20 year old cat whose impending death will wreck me emotionally higgins really has an outstanding episode all around the fact that they the stand show opens out higgins with episode him. it really is and it opens with him getting out of the car he's got five sons even though i think only are all five in the car i believe all, i believe all five are in the car because they're they're talking about now they can afford to get the other car fixed so i think yeah. the whole family is crammed into one and you see like you can tell this family you know they're they're okay they're as comfortable as you can be for having five kids and living together but you can tell and especially by the wife's remark about how she hopes rebecca gets heart disease <laughs> like you know he's been working 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 for a long time, but that he's truly content. He's truly happy. This is a happy family, even if they look uncomfortable from the outside looking in. And I just love that they start with that and then leave it alone for a while because it's like, well, where's the payoff? Like, where am I going to, I want to learn more about your family, Higgins. I like you. (laughs) Where can I learn more? And then in that meeting with the four guys, that's what he, he gets like his kind of shining moment when he talks about even hard times. If you go through them with the right person, they're easy. Which I don't know if I entirely agree with that, but I really like hearing it. It's a wonderful line. Yeah, it's a great line. Beautiful line from Higgins. Very well written. You mentioned something. This show is rarely open-ended. Like, I I think it ends the season with very few, you know, things not resolved or things they're not being a payoff for certain things they do. Like, you know, they three episodes after the, you know, in episode three, they bring us back to the taxi driver's restaurant, um, stuff like that. It's very, it's very neat and tidy. It's very well thought out. Um, and, and just the same thing with that, with Higgins, with Higgins's family. Um, next scene is Ted and Jamie, I guess, getting into it before the match, like as much as Ted can get into it with someone. It's actually really nice to see Ted basically be fed the fuck up with Jamie. Yeah, as we've said on past episodes, Jamie is just the worst. <laughs> Not a good dude, this Jamie. With Rupert out of the picture in this episode, Jamie gets right back up there into the top spot of just bad guy. Yeah, and that's, again, it's like we talked about it last week. That scene with him and Roy, it was great and all. Like, you feel like you finally broke Jamie down a bit, but it's almost like revealing a little bit of himself. And then, of course, like Keely breaking up with him um, was just so much that he completely reverted into just being the worst possible version of himself. Jamie's got so many long years of growth in front of him, if ever. (laughs) Like, if, if ever. there's Jamie is someone who... 
what he's supposed to be like 23 or something like that. Yeah. Jamie is borderline like, oh, he he might go through life being unredeemable. There's a there's a quality chance that he might he might get to that point. He's certainly at risk of becoming unredeemable. Yeah. And the fact that he's continuing not to care about his teammates, he's continuing to make it all about himself. And the fact that, you know, even earlier in the episode, he and Keely have broken up. She walks in the next day to his house and his new girl or like a girl that he slept with is in the kitchen. And she says to Keely, like, um, you're my favorite person. Like I follow you on Insta and snap and everything. And Keely says, wow, you moved on so quickly or something like that. And he's like, well, how long is a man supposed to be alone? And she's like, it hasn't even been 24 hours. <laughs> like JV is just textbook, terrible douche bro. Is uh, is Jamie here? Oh my God, you're Keely Jones. Yeah, I am. Hi, Jamie. No, 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 no. You can't get mad. You broke up with me. Like 24 hours ago. Well, how long's a man meant to be alone? What's I supposed to do? Shower by myself? He, he is he as is, is shallow as you can possibly be. Yeah. Just everything, he is every stereotype about young, dumb athletes rolled up into one. Yeah. I mean, and that goes right into the next scene is Roy confronting Jamie at the game. Probably Jamie's worst moment of the season. First stepping over and then turning over Sam while Sam is, Sam is quote unquote hurt on, on the field. It's, and, it, and then it's, it coincides with one of Roy's best moments of the season, just straight up fighting Jamie and then tutoring Sam on how to get the proper ovation for the crowd. Again, something that the show is setting us up for something in the future. It's just, God, it's so perfect. I know we, we gush so much about it, but Jay, like Jamie really, I think he hits rock bottom in terms of public opinion (laughs) in that scene because Sam appears hurt. Roy, who's clearly stepped into this role as captain fully, you know, he's the guy who's suddenly saying, okay, everybody quiet down, listen to Ted, everything else. Like he tells him like, help your teammate. And even then Jamie isn't, because he has a crowd who's adoring him. And so he's even more empowered to just reject Roy and reject the idea of a team. And he turns him over and then he like Roy shoves him and then they end up, you know, yellow card comes out. It's like a whole thing. Excuse me, mate. Oi! Check on your fucking teammate. You know, the captain dispensing some wisdom to the young superstar. Nothing wrong with that. Sam. Yeah. You know, soccer things. <laughs> <laughs> those, those whole, that, that whole, the, those the sports, those rules. <laughs> and whatnot. Um, and yeah, it's just, yeah, they, I think they intentionally wanted to make him as terrible as possible to prepare you for how it ends for him. At least, you know, how it ends for him in this episode. You honestly, if you if you do like kind of the realistic aspect, though, I can't think of a single because like the crowd is or the the camera is on Sam. So the entire crowd would have seen that step over and would have seen him turn him over, even with how beloved he is. Like if we would have seen Trevor Lawrence do that to someone this year, I feel like it would have been a huge story. Oh, totally. I, I, I don't see that going over well, even if a crowd absolutely adored. I think even the crowd would be like, wow, this guy kind of a kind of a piece of shit, this Jamie yeah. Tart. Yeah. I mean, I, which maybe it's different, maybe culturally. <laughs> it's like a cultural difference that the more, you know, asshole-ish you are overseas, the more you are loved. I don't know. That that should I'm sure the Brits are gonna love to hear that. <laughs> love to hear that inference the, about them. The one Brit that listens to the show. <laughs> Use you one Brit. Call in. Let us know what the deal is. Do you guys celebrate players being rude to their hurt teammates? Is that a thing? Uh, if I don't, if I don't hear from the one Brit who listens to this show, I'm just going to go on assuming that that's fine with them. Our one British listener who like lived in the UK for maybe like ten years, and they're like the first ten years of their life, and they've lived in America ever since, but they still count. I need some clarity on that big mini wheat from a couple episodes ago yeah. as well. I need need more mini wheat stuff. Uh, next scene I've got is Ted's halftime speech, which has a I mean I guess a double meaning about divorce, but is ninety percent about divorce and ten percent about this game. But it yeah it works. It leads into Sam's goal on the assist from Roy, like one of the first 
real good on-field moments we get in the series. Like we're actually, hey, we're actually still doing sports here. It's not just a show ripping into our emotions. And then uh, Nate jumping into Ted's arms, being handed off to Beer. Just a really good, really good quick moments of this celebration, especially a Beard walking Ted into the Doc Brown impersonation. One of my favorite things. You hear that, Coach? Wake up! Wake up! Hey, the same word, ain't it? Yeah, it's different. Yeah, kind of like back in the 80s. Bad meant good. Who was president back then? Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan? The actor? Oh, man. I love when you do Doc Brown. You walk me right into that. Fantastic. (laughs) That was actually such a good moment. Yeah, I love the speech, and I love, you know, the name of the episode comes from that speech where he's talking about, is it his Spanish teacher? What teacher was it? Art teacher? I don't know. He had some teacher. (laughs) Some teacher apparently threw him into puberty. Yeah. He's like, you know, whenever she leans down to tell you something, you feel all squiggly inside. He's like, first time I ever saw tan lines. (laughs) It's just, again, Ted being endearing and charming, and it's fine. Um, But I think, you know, that speech is so symbolic because it's talking about change, and it's talking about getting used to something that's different. And he has this revelation mid-speech that sometimes the the most incredible act of love for somebody is knowing when to let them go. And it seems so counterintuitive because we're, you know, we're conditioned. We're human beings. We want the people we love near us. We don't want them to go away. We don't want to have to push them out of our lives. But there are circumstances where we realize, like, our presence, for whatever reason, is hurting them and we have to let them go. And again, like I just, I cry even thinking about it because it's it's such a wonderful reflection of the human condition, right? All of us have been there, even if it's in a very minor way. There are a lot of people who have been in long lasting, happy relationships and that's great. But I think it doesn't even have to be a romantic relationship. We've all been in a position, whether it was with our child, with our friends, with a partner, where we knew like this is no longer good for the both of us. Like we have to separate if we're going to be okay. And it's, it's just such a tough pill to swallow and I'm not going to cry. You're not going to make me cry, Kyle. <laughs> and, and we have to swallow it because the next, the next scene. And I think the best scene, potentially the best scene in the show is when Ted and Michelle say goodbye. I look back at everything we've been through. <laughs> and I wouldn't change a single thing. Even now. What are you saying? Shell, there's something I could do or something I could say that would make you be happy. Just being with me, I'd do it. I'd do it in a nanosecond. But I ain't got no control over anything. You don't have to keep trying anymore. It's okay. I'm gonna be okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay, quick feet. There we go. Shoot. <sighs> I promised myself I would never quit anything in my life. But you're not quitting, Ted. You're just letting me go. Ted says you don't have to keep trying anymore. It's okay. I'm going to be okay. Like, I... A comedy show should not have to be this hard, but it's, it's. I mean, we're watching the marriage. We're not watching it disintegrate because that that's really already happened. It's a, it's an understanding between two parties. Just the things that you were saying that, um, you know, these are two people who you know that if they had the choice, if someone could, you know, if they could wave a magic wand and be perfectly fine, they would take that in a heartbeat. It's not like they don't have love for each other in in some certain regard and it's not like they wish they couldn't raise their kid together for you know and everything be perfect but it's just not there and that's causing them more pain than staying together is is, you know and it's just it's tough it's really difficult to watch um and it's it's masterful writing it's masterful acting it's um all around you know there's a mumford and son song playing in the background it's it's tough it's a it's a really tough watch it it's end with that little pick me up of beard showing up out of nowhere probably hitting on women doing something uh <laughs> with with the, with the beer i i don't imagine he probably it. just had sex 
I don't imagine that Beard Beard had been drinking alone. Um, But it is, uh, it's one of the most powerful scenes. That's not hyperbole. It's really one of the most powerful scenes I've ever seen in film. Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I'm really trying hard not to cry on this podcast because I was crying before. I was rewatching the episode again just to make sure. I like to do that so I can be fresh when I get on here because I forget a million things. I appreciate um, that that kind of research. I don't think I could have rewatched this one right before we recorded. No, I have to. And even though like most of the episode is me saying, wait, what's her name and what did they say? But anyway, um, you know, it's something, and I've talked about this openly fairly openly. I mean, there's only so much you can do like out of respect for yourself and your partner or ex-partner. But, you know, I'm a single mom with a co-parent, a wonderful co-parent. And we are lucky because we are determined and have been determined for years because we broke up when our son was uh, still a baby. Um, We said from the beginning, our job, our biggest job here is to be his parent. We need to be the best co-parents we can be. And it's hard because we both came from families, not of families of divorce. Our parents were still together. We had no comprehension of what that would look like, separated people co-parenting. Like the only thing in our minds were you had the custodial parent and then you had the one who went every other weekend. You like dropped them off in a parking lot and everything was awkward. We, he and I were so determined not to let that happen. And we were so determined to kind of separate the idea that this relationship needed to end, but for the betterment of everyone involved, that the best thing for our son was for us to figure out a co-parenting situation. And I know that sounds like I'm writing a blog or something, but um, it seems so impossible just because we're used to families looking like one thing. And we all know by now families look like a million things. And we're so used to love looking like one thing and love meaning something. And the truth is you can have a lot of love for another person and know that you don't need them in your life every day and know that maybe you don't need to be in a romantic relationship. And that's what that scene really shows. And when he says like, we met in a parking lot and who knew it would lead to all this? I mean, I think that's everybody. That's everyone who's had children. Like you have these moments where you meet and you come together and you build a family together And the idea of ending that seems like such a failure. It feels like a failure. It feels like quitting. And it's not. It's just two people saying, if we're going to live the best life for us and our child, like we have to separate. And God, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I'm just ram- that you're going to have to cut all this. No, it's it's all staying in. It's I'm um just rambling at this point, but You and you and I have talked and like I with with my son have been in a similar but but different situation. And it's it all comes down to something that I know something I had to learn, I'm something I know something you and and your son's father had to learn is a lot of times you have to realize that what is the best for what is the best for yourself and your mental health and is often what's going to be best for your child too, instead of trying to stuff yourself into a box because you think that's what better. And that's what we're really watching Ted and Michelle do is realize that this unhappiness is, is going to spread and it's not going to be a happy life for them. And that, that would spread. And it's something that you're, you know, it, it is not, you know, Ted says, I promised myself I wouldn't quit anything in life. And it's, it's really not, it's just about, um, it's about going down a new path and it, it's a new, you know, it's a new path for Ted Lasso. And it's probably something he never imagined would happen because Ted doesn't seem like the guy who would ever let doubt into his mind in any which way. Yeah. And we get the, this idea in our heads that again, and I know I just said a version of this where we're conditioned because largely because of movies and TV, we're conditioned to believe that families are a mom and a dad and a child or multiple children. And that's what a family is. And if you're not that family that you're broken or you're dysfunctional and it's not the truth. A lot of families are quote unquote unbroken that are very dysfunctional <laughs> and having to grow up in a house where you can tell your parents are just sticking it out because they feel like they have to. Like I, I'm lucky I didn't have that. Like my parents had a really good relationship, but I had a lot of friends who would say, you know, they stayed together, but they stayed together for us and it was miserable. I hated it. And you think that staying together is the right thing for the kid, but why? Why, why would 
why would you want to be miserable around your child? Why would you want your kid remembering years where you weren't happy just for the sake of living in the same house as their other parent? And and I know a lot of people will disagree with me on that, and that's fine. I just think this show is a perfect example of opening your mind to see that families look like a lot of things and love looks like a lot of things. And if you learn to embrace it and not treat it as quitting and not treat it as failure, because it's not failure. Two people coming together and having a child, bringing another person into the world, that's not, it's not failure just because they don't stay together. You've brought a person into this world. You have every opportunity to help them become great people. That's beautiful. That's a miracle. And if anything, giving each other the freedom and the room to say, this isn't working anymore is the best thing you can do. And you both can go on and maybe add to your family and make it bigger. And there's nothing wrong with more love. There's just not. But there is something very wrong with forcing yourself into a situation that you think you have to be in because it's socially acceptable. And that's what makes the, just the end of this episode so perfect and this scene so perfect and just a really special way to depict depict divorce and depict splitting up on, on this show is that this scene doesn't have an absence of love. It, it really has the opposite. It's it's full of love, just not the kind of love that keeps a marriage together. And yeah. um, it's, I mean, it's flawless. And I can't, I can't, I don't have an argument for another scene that can top this for best scene in this episode. I will say I love it when when Roy just gets in Jamie's ass during the game. That fired me up. Uh, one scene I really liked, and again, I'm not saying it's the best scene, but it stands out, is when Roy sees Keeley talking to Jamie in the hall and sees her kind of brush him off because he suggested that they go back to his house and get naked. Um, and she's, you know, she's about to start a position in brand development and she's agreed to maintain a business relationship with him. And she's like, that'll be all. Thank you. She's just very professional about it. And then Roy, even though Roy has good intentions, he is a typical guy. And I, I mean that in the sense of like, he's not considering what it's like for him to approach a woman and what she's supposed to think from his perspective. And he's like, well, it's about time you did that because blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I broke up with him and actually it's none of your business and it's not. <laughs> she goes, but I'll make sure to include you on all of my important life decisions. And then he's suddenly very sheepish. She's like, well, it's just that, you know, Jamie, he didn't, he didn't do the extra pass. So that's what I'm dealing with. <laughs> and like she walks down the hall and his phone buzzes and it, it's from her. And she's like, my bladder's full. Can I go pee? <laughs> he mutters to himself. Yes. Like he realizes he's totally screwed this up. And I have in I my what works section uh, just written down, Keely has Roy by the balls. Oh, absolutely. And he realizes, like, that's what I like is he learns quickly. He realizes he thought he was just having a conversation with her or he thought maybe he even thought he was flirting. And she, even though she likes him, she could have easily, like, given into that and just laughed along. And she's like, actually, my life's none of your business. And please don't assume it is just because I'm not with him anymore. I thought it was amazing. <laughs> It's it's one of my favorite scenes, and it also kind of piggybacks on the the moment she has with Rebecca. And I, I had this under funniest one like funniest one liner under the radar joke. But when Rebecca tells Keely men give each other jobs and toilets all the time, which is obviously a double entendre, but also more yes. of an empowerment for Rebecca and Keely is like, why shouldn't I give you this job? Because you're my friend. Men do this shit all the time. Give people undeserved jobs, and Keely is. It's not even undeserved. Keely has branded herself to where Keely apparently has a shit ton of money. She's doing great in life. Um, it's it's a very well deserved. Just more and more like this is the one of the best duos in the show. Well, Keely's had her moments before this where she's shown that she's savvy enough to handle publicity and branding. And they, they were smart with that, too. Just like the whole thing with Rebecca on the red carpet. She helps coach her on how to pose. And even when she's with Jamie in that last episode and she's saying, you know, if you would wear more high fashion things, you'd get more endorsements. Like she's thinking about the money and not in a, a shrewd way, but she's just she's smart. She's been in the business long enough, even if it's just the business of almost being famous, <laughs> where it's like she knows what. So Rebecca clearly sees something in her and Rebecca's truly not offering her the job just because she was nice. Rebecca can see something in her, too. And I think maybe Keely always believe that about herself, or at least that's what I think the character is set up for us to believe. 
but didn't have anybody who saw that in her. Jamie certainly wasn't going to be the person to say that he saw any potential in her. And so the fact that Rebecca's believing in her, it kind of brings out a new Keeley. She's suddenly very confident and self-assured and go women. I think that's great. She is one of the characters I'm most excited for for season two. Let's take a quick ad break and get back with our other favorite one-liners. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so funniest one-liner or under-the-radar joke. It was kind of a good episode for those because the episode was so heavy on emotion that they were. I feel like they were able to slip some really funny stuff in. Like, uh, for me, Jamie talking about his tattoos in the... Uh, in the beer commercial when he's he get his tattoos in it and he points to his Chinese lettering tattoo and he said it's Chinese for arm, which is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's so smart. Um, I have a few. So I love, and it's not even, again, like this, I don't even deliver good one-liners whenever we get to this point. I just deliver like moments of dialogue that I love. In the beginning when Ted is talking to Rebecca about how he and his wife, they had gone to therapy and they agreed on a word, Oklahoma, that meant the other person has to tell the truth no matter how much it hurts. And he says, it's really ruined the musical for me. So I can't really listen to Oh, What a Beautiful Morning or Sorry with a Fringe on Top. And Rebecca says, shall we dance? He's like, no, that's the king and I. <laughs> I think, like, if you're a musical nerd, that's actually, and especially like knowing Hannah Waddingham and her amazing um, stage career. It's just very funny. This is, again, another episode where we see kind of what a renaissance man Ted is. There's so many pop culture references. You've got Oklahoma, you've got The King and I, you've got Back to the Future. He references Field of Dreams. Like, we went really deep into that last episode, but Ted is just has a man of so many interests. He's so, you know, he's so far from this, you know, your typical football coach. Well, it's curious, you know, he's, it's curiosity. And they make that very apparent in, I think, the next episode. Uh, I feel like I've totally lost track of it. But yeah, so it's totally living up to what we know about him, that he's so curious about so many things that he's very well-rounded. Um, and I think that's good. I don't know. I There are a lot of moments in this show that I think, like the metaphor thing that Coach Beard says at the beginning that I think is really smart. Um, in that practicing too, Ted is also talking about the thing about leaving peanut butter open on his counter and Roy just God. chimes in with, it's a fucking good idea to be fair. Oh, that's right. Y'all don't know I like to keep the peanut butter open. That way, whenever I walk by, I can just stick my finger in it. Oh, it's a fucking good idea to be fair. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I know. And it's so random. Like, to me, that's kind of out of character for Ted. I don't know why, but it seems like such a weird thing to add in. Um, and I think that's just, like, a me thing. But just, like, really, dude? You just leave peanut butter open the counter? Okay. All right. That's fine. I will I will often, uh, late at night, will take a jar of peanut butter out and uh, get a big spoonful. And Oh, everybody does that. And scoop we it. Don't- yeah. But we don't leave the jar open on the counter. <laughs> like that's, I just feel like that's asking for bugs. But yeah, that's, that's true. That's me. that's how you get ants per yeah. Sterling Archer. That's what I was gonna say. This is how we get ants. Yeah. Um, I also there's another reference to Ted's running in the game when Ted is running up to ask Rebecca if he can bench Jamie when the announcers. That's a real impressive cardio from Ted Lasso yes. running up the steps. I know. It's so good. I think it's just so smart. Everything is so smart. We know that. It's just, it's it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> well, and okay, so speaking of the match, 
this episode is the most soccer action we've gotten so far. We get like some yeah. actual, a bunch of in-game action. We get some practice. We get a halftime speech, like the first Ted's real first go at inspiring the team and also, you know, mentally walking his way through divorce. But I, I love that Ted is working through this personal struggle through what he loves, like through coaching. Um, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a valuable thing to, to, to show that, to show how people get through things through, you know, you throw yourself into something and, and obviously there's, there's the draw, you know, there's always the thing of, you know, you throw yourself into your work, but you forget about everything else. And it, you know, there's gotta be that balance, but it's really Ted, he's got, his life is kind of falling, falling apart around him, or at least the life that, that he wanted or was hoping was going to happen. And he's, we're now seeing him really for the first time kind of throw it into this team and, and really drive them to victory, try to drive them to victory. And the show hasn't really leaned on the sports or the fortunes of AFC Richmond too much in this one. But it, like, if it is a soccer show, it'd be kind of criminal if they didn't give us a feel-good sports moment. So it was awesome to see at the end of this episode. Yeah, I thought like, especially seeing how they won, that it wasn't Jamie who won the game for them. You know, he benches Jamie. That obviously has you know, caused some controversy among <laughs> the fans. But then a win is a win. And I feel like I say this a lot whenever I'm talking about college football. Um, we can talk all day about what should and shouldn't happen and who should and shouldn't be on the field. All anybody cares about is winning. If at the end of the game, your team has beaten the other team, that is what is going to bring the paycheck in. <laughs> like, I don't care. We can create all these storylines all day long about people who missed out on chances or about really good players and coaches making absolutely bonkers decisions, and God knows they do. Uh, but at the end of the day, who wins and who loses? That's it. That's what matters. And it's cool that the win is derived not only not from Jamie, but something that Ted was coaching about, like something that Ted was able to kind of pick up on. It's it's really yes. it's this isn't a show that is all about AFC Richmond and how they do, but it's kind of the same thing. It cashes in on our emotions when it comes to Ted's marriage and how we, you know, how we feel about the characters at this point, but we feel we feel enough for this team and enough for Ted because obviously we know his fortunes are tied to AFC Richmond that it also makes us feel great when they win this game and especially because of the celebration we get after and the 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 way they're saying wanker differently, which is wonderful. Yes. <laughs> They're like, it's an encouraging wanker. And I, actually, that's my favorite one-liner. It's when his son says, Daddy, what's a wanker? And he says, it's someone with too much time on their hands. <laughs> 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 yep, I got it. That's the best one-liner. So good. It's so good. But it's a, it's probably the best soccer-related episode of Ted Lasso so far. It's really, really enjoyable. Um, 100%. And- yeah, and I mean, and I don't, I don't watch a ton of, you know, ton of Premier League, obviously, but it seems like, you know, y- you can see when something doesn't really look good on camera, and sports don't really look good on camera. I've made a career of this podcast and, and talking about that and complaining about that, and it seems they they seem to do a good job of like putting you in the moment, and you know, with the loud crowd and the announcers and stuff like that. Like it feels feels at least adequate. I mean, it's still a major goal of mine. I would love to go to the UK one day. Oh, absolutely. And be able to watch. Any football game, and I'll even call it football. You won't hear soccer out of me. I don't know. I, I don't care which team I would go, like where I would go, or where I would see the game, but I would just deck myself out in the home team stuff and scream for 90 minutes plus stoppage time, and I would be thrilled. Yeah, I would just tell me what team to root for. If anyone out there, if you want to fund a trip to the UK, you could just like dress me however you want. Like I will root for your team, but I, I would just really love to see that because it's to me it's as close to a football atmosphere as any especially like a college football atmosphere as any other sports and when we get into identity sports um in terms of like I've written a lot about this I've read a lot about it the idea that fandom is so closely linked to the fact that people the way they identify themselves is so closely linked with their team and when you're dealing with college which is what I primarily deal with it's either that's the school you went to or that's the school you just grew up being a fan of or maybe your family went there or something. There's some reason you're attached to that school. Very few people just pick a college team. It's not like the NFL 
where you can just be a Cowboys fan for fun. <laughs> like, well, not for fun, but for misery. It, it, um, trust me, I'm a Cowboys fan. It hasn't been fun. <laughs> it has not been fun. My mother, diehard Cowboys fan, uh, but she was from Michigan. And she just grew up like seeing the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders on TV. She's like, that's what I want. She moved to Texas when she was 20. I mean, but, you know, tell her, even though she's an old Miss fan, I think just to humor me, at the end of the day, University of Michigan is who she loves. Like, she'll never admit it. And I know that. But the reason why is because that's where she's from. And she also grew up in Chicago. So she loves the Bears. She loves the White Sox. Identity has so much to do with sports. And so, I, to me, the football culture you know, in Europe and, and really around the world. Like it has so much to do with that's where you're from. Those are your people. That's who you root for. You identify with whatever their team, um, whatever people think their team represents, whether that's just like down home people or, you know, when I think of college football teams, especially if it's like, you know, Ole Miss, Miss Mississippi state, for example, just, you know, a random example, just one random game (laughs) that, you know, could have, could have picked any game and it's just one random game. (laughs) Well, the idea, the stereotype that prevails is like, old business, like the classy place, right? That's where all the doctors, the lawyers go. And that Mississippi State is where all the farmers go. And it's not true. It's actually more expensive to go to Mississippi State than it is University of Mississippi. But those stereotypes prevail. And, it's how people like they don't want to be identified with that or they don't want to be identified with that. And people align themselves with these teams for one reason or another. And I I love that part of it. That's my, that's what's fueled a lot of what I've written about is how fans define themselves by the teams they love. And I think we see that a lot. um, Definitely with, with football in the UK. So one paging the dudes from split zone duo to write an article that is like, what is the premier league or European soccer version of like the egg bowl or red river or stuff like that. I would love to know that, but all that stuff about how people identify and when we've heard all season about how much this team means to this town is why the endearing wanker chant is so rewarding. And it's why, like, you know, it's upsetting when the town is so mean to Ted. But, like, you think about, like, Georgia ran Mark Rick the fuck out of town after a bunch of 10-win seasons and being good. Like, this is how much sports means to some people and success means to some people. So Ted is literally causing these people physical pain on game days, on match days, or at least they're, they're... projecting their pain onto Ted. So it's why it's why you can almost understand why they're being so mean, even though that is the the worst the worst of sports fans is to be mean to a person because they're not doing their job in a way that you would like them to. But also why it's so rewarding to hear them suddenly like Ted is being accepted. He's really being accepted by by everyone. And it's 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 hurting Rebecca, but everyone is really starting to come around to Ted. Well, you know, there's that scene um or the little moment I think it's when Ted like runs up to the stand and his wife and his kid are there and then they go back to the pub and one of the guys who's normally hating him is like, Oh, what a cute family or something. And one of the guys says, Paul, don't humanize him. (laughs) Like they very much know if they start investing in him as a person and not just a, a figurehead of this team that they're going to love him regardless. And I think there's something uh, very sincere about that. I think there's something very sweet about that. And it makes it more believable because if people outright hated him, it wouldn't make sense. And you know, the other day we had, cause you know, last week we discussed if Ted Lasso were the coach of an SEC team, which one would he be? And I think we settled on Kentucky and someone, and if you're listening, I'm not trying to call you out. I'm not going to mention your name or anything, but someone said, uh, the answer is Alabama because it's somebody who doesn't care about wins And essentially, he was saying, like, just cares about the process. Let me tell you something, folks. The process wouldn't even be something we discussed if Nick Saban didn't win. (laughs) Like, he would not even be part of the conversation. Again, all they care about at the end of the day, it's not just Alabama, it's everybody, wins and losses. You would not, Saban would not have a contract extension until 2028 if it were just about the process, okay? (laughs) This is about championships. And although I appreciate everybody who listens and engages with our stuff, I can't, that is, that's off base. Like Ted is much more of a, even if they had lost that game, he would not have regretted take or match. They would not have regretted taking, benching Jamie. Like no, he wouldn't have. He would have said for, that was the right call. Not for one second. Jamie yeah. and Jamie does not get benched on an Alabama team. Unless, unless, unless Nick thinks 
they are going to be worse on the field because of Jamie. Well, to be fair, I don't think Jamie wouldn't even be on the Alabama team because Nick oh, wouldn't yeah. put up with that shit. Nick, Nick doesn't recruit those knuckleheads. No. <laughs> but I think, like, the reason, obviously, the reason why he's been so successful is because of the way he coaches, because of all of that. But again, like, a lot of coaches have good intentions. Don't get me wrong. We've seen a lot of them. But if they don't produce, they're gone. And that's just the nature of the business. And I think, you know, Ted's obviously he knows that he was a college football coach. He's very well aware if he's not producing what they want to see, that his job is on the line. But I will say, I think in this episode, especially by the end of it, when he knows everything is done, I don't think he cares anymore. I think not that he doesn't care. I just think that he's gotten to the point where he's like now more than ever, I'm sticking to exactly what I believe in and I'm not going to let shitty people play for me. Like I'm not just, I'm just not going to have that because I'd rather have this team lose and lose fairly and lose with dignity and not have some dude on the field like pointing at himself screaming me 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 which is exactly what Jamie did <laughs> that's not even an exaggeration I will say there's one thing about Jamie I have this down in what worked and it's not about Jamie but I kind of love the Jamie Tart baby shark thing yeah I, I like I mean, that as a chant I'm very over baby shark as a concept so like for, I'm not the one to ask about that because I'm just sick of it but it is smart I, I found it very creative and there was an egg bowl a few years ago where because of course our mascot is a land shark and <laughs> we were losing terribly and the Mississippi State band God bless them started playing baby shark so I have I have negative associations with this. Yeah, that's tough. That that's not what you want. <laughs> Jamie should have done. <laughs> Jamie should have done the uh, the piss in the end zone celebration. That would have been a, a good a good salute to the egg. Bowl. I mean, yes, everyone should do that if you feel so inclined. <laughs> I'm very passionate about this. The uh, the celebration that changed football in Mississippi. Um, do you have anything that we haven't talked about that worked about this one or anything that, that didn't work? Cause this is an episode. I, I don't have a single thing that doesn't work. I don't have, like, I'm looking at my notes right now and we've talked about everything that I've had in my notes. Truly. I just think there's no way you get through this with a dry eye, you know, at least like maybe you're not a crier, but at least your heart's going to hurt a little bit. No. And it's the, to me, it's the rawest episode they have. And we already know at this point that. They're very good at writing authentic dialogue. They're very good at setting up very real storylines that still have appeal. They're not so real that you feel like this isn't the escape I want when I'm watching a show. Um, but I just, I don't know. I, I realize I'm biased because I, you know, both of us, we have these little boys and we've been through similar situations. So, of course, we're just messes about it. But It's um, like the shit was written for us, which is really tough. It, yeah, that's true. And the truth is like, and people, you need to know this, like Kyle and I did not know each other at all. He DM'd me one day and he's like, hey, I'm doing a Ted Lasso podcast. Would you like to do it? <laughs> because yes. Alex tweets about Ted Lasso more than I think anyone in the oh, world. Come Pretty on. impressive. It's Only like, like you and the Ted Lasso account that tweet the most about Ted Lasso. Yeah, well, I mean, at first it was, it was like a labor of love because people weren't watching it. At least my people weren't watching it. And I was like, it was last fall. I said, you got to do it. And now I just seem obnoxious because everybody's already seen it. And I'm still out here cheerleading. Like, have you heard about this show? Well, you're going to be the, you can be the hipster about it. Like I was watching Ted Lasso before all you people were watching Ted Lasso. I was watching it one episode at a time, (laughs) y'all. The uh, Lenny Harris Pinch Hitter Award for Best Supporting Character in this one. We talked about it's a really good Higgins episode. It's It's a great Brett Goldstein moment. But you talked about her earlier. Andrea Anders is Michelle Lasso. It takes a special performance to divorce Ted Lasso and not come off as a bad guy. I mean, it's incredible. Because at this point, we're all in. If this had been the first or second episode, it'd be like, okay, whatever. But we're all in on Ted. And she played it perfectly to where you feel it's a very level feeling for both of them where you know they're both hurting. And nobody's the villain and nobody's the hero. It's just how life goes sometimes. I think she was brilliant. Yeah, and you commented on this earlier, but it's the perfect decision by the show to not make her villainous, to not make her, you know, Rupert or something like that. It, it makes the show so much more effective when it's it's not to rehash everything we've already talked about, but it, it, to, to make it just two people who have to go their separate ways. 
and it's um it's a powerhouse performance i think if i'm not mistaken it's her only episode of the season only appearance of the season whatsoever so one and done she is one for one on being the the best supporting character in the show pretty impressive she comes back one more time or maybe two more times I guess I, I I guess I I do not remember as well as you. On the FaceTime. Oh, okay. Rem- yeah. Yeah. When she's like, hey, about those papers. Yeah. And then oh, God. The- oh, God. Yeah. And then, the- yeah, we've got a lot, <laughs> get, we've got gets a lot worse. to go, man. <laughs> it gets worse. <laughs> and then the last episode before the last game, remember, it's her and the son. God. And they FaceTime him. This so. goddamn show. Uh, the big chill moment. <laughs> Actually, a few sports-related big chill moments in this one, kind of getting more into the theme of the, the sports movie style. Uh, Ted smacking the believe sign. Give me, give me uh, that. I'm, I'm, I'm bought in. I love that. Uh, Sam bearing the goal and Richmond actually winning. Ted getting the big hug from his kid post game, putting him on his shoulders. Like that's a that's a big set of big chill moments, and they're all within about three to four minutes in the episode. He's open, he's open. There you go. The through ball from Coburn, and Kent is oh, onto the races. Kent has only one man to beat. He could take it himself, but he makes the extra pass to a wide open Ovi Stanya. I, to me, oh, <laughs> I can't even talk about it. When he jumps up and hits the believe sign, because the way he sets it up, he's like, I've got, what does he say? I've got one more thing to tell you and I need you all to listen very carefully. And then he looks at Coach Beard and he turns around and looks like he's going to walk out and everyone's a little confused and he jumps up and hits believe. Oh my God. I shared that gift the other day when I was watching uh, my college baseball team beat Southern Miss to go on to the Super Regional. <laughs> And I like, but there was a a few points in the game where I was like, I don't know if they're going to be able to do it. And so I kept tweeting Ted Lasso gifts. And that's the one. I love that. It's so powerful. It's so good. And when he puts that sign up in the first episode, he gets scoffed at, especially by Roy. And by the fifth episode, he's slapping it. We're getting the chills. The team is going out and winning. It is fucking awesome. It's amazing. And the thing is, he doesn't have to give these big, grandiose speeches that we're so used to seeing in sports movies and shows, right? So the next show, by the way, that you need to do is Big Shot on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> it's the one. Have you seen this? Is it's that the John-, John Stamos one? Yes. So I'll be the co-host on that, too. But it just... It reminds me of every other thing where we see like the really big, inspiring, make you cry kind of speech. His speech was not that. It was subtle. It was understated, but it was good and it meant something and it was impactful. And I think he's one of those people, you know, where he chooses his words carefully and he chooses his moments carefully in terms of when he's going to speak and when he's not. So two years ago, I did DCOM December. I did Disney Channel original movie December. And maybe mm. maybe Big Shot will be the, the DCOM December of this year. I, I do not want to end this episode without talking about one more line that I, I forgot about that is really enjoyable. It's right after that halftime scene. It happens right after he smacks the believe sign when uh, they all, they're all going up to the board to see what Beard is going to instruct them to do. And Roy says the thing about like he never liked Jamie. And then the other guys yes. are like, we know Roy. <laughs> yeah, we got it, Roy. Thank you. No, I think it's so smart. And Roy really comes into his own this episode. Like... You see the subtle, just like the way he stands up to Jamie, but also when Ted's talking to them, he's the one that says, everybody listen up. I mean, he's in it, man. Like he is, he's finally in that role. And I think it's great because it now sets up a possibility for him and Keeley because he's self-assured, she's self-assured. Let's see what happens when these two crazy kids collide. He's fully bought into the lasso. Wait, there's, there's now someone besides Coach Beard who is bought into this guy. And it, it's it's, it's a domino effect. Uh, Alex, one to five biscuits. Um, let's give it six. <laughs> six biscuits. That sounds that sounds good. I mean, you take a show based on a commercial which you've talked about about a, a football coach coaching European soccer, and give it a divorce plotline and land it flawlessly. It is. It, I mean, it's truly incredible. Yeah, it's it's. I mean, it's like every other episode we've talked about. I hate ending it this way. I would love to have something dramatic, but it just gets better, folks. Yeah. <laughs> every episode. So, 
I mean, really, the only the only cliffhanger this show has really ever is will it get better? That's the only like it's the only drama. It's like, how do they top this? Season two, I'm telling you, it's the one thing it scares me a little. It we're gonna have to do some <laughs> season two predictions, but it is I mean this is like I, I'm sure that there have been shows that have had more hype leading into season two and have had to really, you know, come out swinging, but there's sure. a lot riding on this. For me personally, there's a ton riding on this show. For you for you individually, you need this season to be excellent. It's gotta no, be I think- that's how we all feel. Like, I did see one of the promos, like, Sassy Smurf is back, so, and we'll get into her later, but still, that's that's a positive development. Can't wait. Alex, tell the folks where they can follow you. Everywhere. Um, I'm at Alex McDaniel on all the platforms, and my other podcast is at Ain't Slade, um, and that's all. And if you enjoyed this episode of Big Screen Sports, please subscribe, rate, review. You folks know the drill. Episode 6 coming at you next Monday, continuing on with the Ted Lasso rewatch. Thanks for listening. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.